Bills Mafia, what is up? And welcome into another edition of the Halftime Adjustments Podcast. I am your host, Charlie Gross. You can find me on Twitter at Charlie underscore Gross underscore. We are part of the Built in Buffalo Podcasting Network. If you have not had a chance yet, please check out some of our Sabres content as well. The Sabres season started, obviously, as you know, if you're a Sabres fan, a few games ago, they're doing better than expected, and we have a Sabres division, so hope you will check out Ranting Ron and the other guys who do that content. But on to the Bills and the Dolphins. First of all, I would like to say happy they didn't play a game Wednesday to you. The Bills had a bye, obviously, which gave us a lot of time to talk about the Bills, uh, the other teams in the AFC and two teams have kind of stood out right like the Titans and the Bengals and people got mad at me on Twitter because I I had the audacity to say that right now right right at this exact moment in time today when you're listening to this that I felt that right now the Titans and the Bengals are the two best teams in the AFC I'm not saying the Bills are a bad team by any means I'm just saying I think that these two teams are slightly better based on the Bengals beating the Ravens the Titans beating us um, and the Chiefs. However, some people think that the Chiefs are bad, so I guess that doesn't matter. So I guess the win that the Bills had against the Chiefs also doesn't matter. <clears throat> Look, the Bills have an easy schedule this year, and we've got a bunch of easy games coming up. And the first one is Miami. Credit to Miami. They've been playing a little bit better, but obviously they're I believe they're 1-6 right now, if I'm correct. Soon to be 1-7 after playing the Bills. And I know a lot of Bills fans like to blame... Tua, but they've actually played better um, since Tua's been back, and it doesn't mean they're you know, they're going to suddenly win a bunch of games. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is they are playing better. If you watch the game, you can see it. And I think there's a lot of things going on down in Miami that don't really have to do with Tua like directly in a way that I think are really contributing to what's going on uh, in Miami. The first one being that the owner seems to want Deshaun Watson. You keep hearing that the Dolphins are in on these Deshaun Watson rumors. And who can blame him if we're just dealing with a um, a talent perspective? Obviously, Deshaun Watson has a lot of legal issues that he needs to address, and we need to see where that goes. But from a talent perspective, uh, Deshaun Watson is one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. He's young. I think he's only 26 or 27. So obviously an elite player. You can understand why the Dolphins would want to trade for him. And so that leaves us you know, kind of going towards this pick of Tua. And I know that a lot of the stuff about Deshaun Watson didn't come out until after they drafted Tua. And we can have a debate about if they, you know, if they drafted Tua, they, if that was the correct move, or, or if they should have dra- drafted Justin Herbert. A lot of people think that. But you don't know what Herbert would be like in Miami. Again, situation matters. And this situation seems bizarre. It doesn't seem sustainable. And so you have to look at Stephen Ross, the owner. You have to look at Chris Greer, the GM. You have to look at Brian Flores, the coach. And I just think there's so many things that are 
red flags in terms of the organization that I don't really think it's fair to Tua or any of the other players, to be perfectly honest. You know, and as far as trading for Deshaun Watson, even if Chris Greer doesn't want Deshaun Watson, there's nothing he can do about it. Stephen Ross is the owner. If you don't want to do what the owner says, then the owner's just going to fire you. So you have these guys who picked Tua, and now they're, you know, we suspect they're being told, try to trade for Deshaun Watson. But back to Tua for a minute. I think this has been poorly handled by the Dolphins, and that is Brian Flores' fault. It is Chris Greer's fault. I do not think they have done a good enough job of supporting Tua the same way that the Bills attempted to with Josh Allen. And I know the Bills roster when Josh Allen got here wasn't great. Okay, but that was last year for the Dolphins then, right? Like, in Josh Allen's second year, the roster was a bit better. The Dolphins have seemed to more or less ignore the offensive line, at least when it comes to veterans. And I think part of the situation that worked so well for the Bills was the veteran. Now, the Dolphins have drafted offensive linemen. They drafted Austin Jackson. They drafted Lee Eichenberg. Uh, they were slow to recognize that Austin Jackson is not a left tackle in the league. And then they messed around with Eichenberg. They drafted a left tackle. They started to put him at right tackle. And now they've moved Austin Jackson inside to guard, which frees up a move for Eichenberg back to left tackle. Like You, you could have just avoided that. Like I don't understand why you didn't, you didn't see that. But like I said, they haven't really surrounded Tua with veterans. And the veterans that they... They do have some of them have been hurt. Like you're signing Will Fuller, who, if he's healthy, he's really super fast and he's a good wide receiver. But I'm not sure if Will Fuller has ever been healthy in his career. He's five, six, seven years in at this point, right? So why sign that guy? It doesn't make any sense. You've got, you know, kind of average younger guys at running back. You've got a great tight end who you're not using enough of. And then going back to last year, you have Ryan Fitzpatrick. It looks like you're going to sit Tua the entire year because you want to make sure that he's really healthy from his injury. So you sign Ryan Fitzpatrick. You get Shan Gailey, who obviously had a lot of success with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You start out, and you're doing really well. And maybe again, maybe this came from the owner. And if it did, that's a problem. And I don't know what to do about it if you're the coach. I, I guess you can try to tell the owner to you know shut up and sit down. I don't know if that's going to work for you. But for whatever reason, suddenly they're playing Tua. And you're putting Tua into an offense that he isn't suited for. And then when the game's on the line, suddenly you're pulling him out to put Ryan Fitzpatrick in. So you're stuck between this place where you're trying to win games, but not with the quarterback who fits the system, but the quarterback who you're trying to figure out if he's the future. But then you pull that guy for the guy who fits the offense better in key moments in certain games and then you bench that guy. It's just it's a big mess. So to me, that's on Chris Greer. It's on Brian Flores. And and as good as someone might think that a team drafted, you know, how many draft picks have the Dolphins had? Uh, you know, in, in the first, second, third round, the past two or three years, they've had what like like something crazy, like twelve or fifteen picks, and they've gotten pretty good reviews from draft analysts. Well, this applies to a different situation. I was I was talking to a guy today on Twitter about Joe Douglas with the Jets, and he was kind of saying just because you you draft good guys doesn't mean you're a good drafter, and I kind of responded, 
to that because, uh, you know, that's what my analytics company is basically all about is draft pick value, team building. And I said, yeah, like you see draft analysts all the time who who are very much in love with Joe Douglas and the players that Joe Douglas has drafted. And that's fine. I'm not trying to throw shade at any of the draft analysts. And you've seen the same thing with the Dolphins. Maybe not as much as the Jets, but somewhat as much. Where they say, oh, this is a great draft. Like, Chris Greer's a great drafter. If if you stop right there in the conversation, then sure, you, you can maintain that because a draft analyst is looking at the players in terms of how that draft analyst evaluated the player. And then they're seeing that this many of the players they, they thought were good go to the Jets or go to the Dolphins. And then they say, oh, well that general manager is good at drafting. And that's fine, but the conversation doesn't stop there. The point is, is what makes you a good drafter is drafting good players. But then you have to like develop the player, and you have to turn that player into what you think that player can be. Because if you draft a bunch of players who all the draft analysts think are the best players you can get at the time when you pick them, and none of them work... Are you really a good drafter? It depends on the context, right? So in that moment, on draft day, you're a good drafter. But three or four years down the line, if all those guys you picked aren't in the league anymore, do we still consider you a good drafter? So that's my point about the Dolphins is they had all of these picks, and then they Obviously, there's a lot of young guys, and I don't want to judge a young guy after, you know, 10 games. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is how many of the guys that Miami has drafted since Brian Flores has been there have really kind of headed in the direction that people thought they were going to go? And I don't have the answer right in front of me, and that's my bad. I can look that up another time. But just off the top of my head, I don't think it's really that many. So that's a problem. I, I just think there's so many different moving moving parts, right? Then, you, then you've got this weird thing where Brian Flores, you know, going way back, had Chad O'Shea as his offensive coordinator. He runs the same system that the Bills run, the Earhart Perkins system. He fired him after a year because the play calls were, were too complex. And I've heard that Earhart Perkins is, you know, a fairly complex offense to learn. Yet the play calls are supposed to be at least somewhat easy to understand. So was that really a thing? What I'm saying is is if the offense is complex but the play calls are easy, what happened then? Is Chad O'Shea a bad teacher? Uh, Should he have not put as much into the game plan? Or or was he just not a good coach? Or did Brian Flores just, uh, you know, Pull the plug too soon on Chad O'Shea. I don't know. But then, right, like I said, you get Chan Gailey, who comes in, who comes in specifically to coordinate offense for Ryan Fitzpatrick, which makes no sense because Ryan Fitzpatrick is only going to be there for a year. You draft Tua, your quarterback of the future, but then you don't hire an offensive coordinator that's running a system that you think is best for your quarterback of the future. How does that make any sense? Doesn't make any sense. So then. You fire Chan Gailey, and now you've got this weird situation where you've got co-offensive coordinators in Miami. Obviously, I know that Brian Flores knows who's calling the plays, but it's like nobody else does. And then you, you find out this weird thing that that 
one guy was like doing the game plan, but then other people were like adding things. And the way it made it sound is like kind of like on game day or like when the play was being called, just really weird sort of confluence of events. Just it, it sounds like Brian Flores is making things more difficult than he needs to make them. And I think that's the thing that the Bills did really well is they surrounded Josh Allen with as many veterans as possible and they made it as simple as possible. And then they added on top of that. Like, you build in a simple foundation. You build in plays that that quarterback is familiar with from college or that they're comfortable running. And then you, you add in a little bit more, you know, every couple weeks or in the offseason. And, and you, you get this thing where suddenly you have this offense that that is very dynamic and diverse. And you can run. And it just seems like there's so much dysfunction going on right now in Miami in terms of the people who who run the team from the owner to the GM to the coach. And, you know, obviously as Bills fans, that's exciting to see because we don't like Miami and I get that. But it's got to be really crappy for the players. And, and, and let's be honest, their defense wasn't terrible. And I know that they, they gave up 35 points to the Bills, but that wasn't the worst defensive performance, right? They were pretty good. It's... The other problem with the Dolphins' offense is they, they, for some reason, they're afraid to throw the ball more than five yards downfield. Of course you're easy to defend if that's... It's like they're afraid to do anything. So a lot of problems, you know, going on in Miami. And as far as the Bills go, I'm sure the bye week was welcome. Uh, you know, hopefully Matt Milano is feeling a little bit better. And hopefully, this is something that people pointed out, uh, felt like Sean McDermott kind of outsmarted himself when it came to the inactives, especially on the defensive line against the Titans. And I think you just need to have, you need to have Epinesa active, um, you know, maybe Basham, maybe not. But you've got to just kind of roll with your best your best guys because the pass rush was kind of non-existent. And I understand they were selling out for the run, which I guess I had a problem with as well. Just play your defense and make people beat you. I understand that at times you have to play matchups and at times you have to do certain things. But just just play your defense and see if people can beat you. A lot of talk this week about Tremaine Edmonds and a contract extension in terms of how well he's playing and what people think he's going to get. Uh, the top linebackers in the league make about $19 million a year, $20 million a year. I think it's possible that he enters that area. And I know that people have said, okay, well, those guys are all pros I mean, if Tremaine Edmonds is playing like an All-Pro but doesn't get voted in to the All-Pro, <laughs> does that really matter? I don't know if that really matters. My guess is that he's going to come in somewhere between 16 and a half and $18 million a year, and I think he deserves it. I think he's been playing great. And some of the, the little things, or the one little thing really, that I wanted to see and he, that he got better at is he's just – Playing more instinctive, like he's he's flowing to the ball. He's not hesitant anymore, and that'll take time with a young guy. And and he's proven that maybe now is his time. And that's you know that's great. That's what we want to see. I think the Bills' defense is a top five defense. I still need to see. I think more consistency from the pass rush and and, and in terms of finish, finishing pass rushes. And I'm still not sure. I think Ed Oliver is a great run defender. But I need to see more from him in the pass rush game. I haven't had a chance to go check out the All-22, so I can't tell you exactly what the issue is 
with Ed if he's struggling to get off blocks, um, if he maybe lack of length is an issue. I'm not really sure. But I, I need him to find a way to be more productive in that area. I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to pick up his option, his, his fifth-year option. That seems pretty obvious. And then offensively, I still don't think that the Bills have played their best game, not in terms of points scoring, but in terms of just playing well. I don't think Josh Allen has played particularly amazing on a consistent basis yet this year. And that's exciting because if he does, the team's going to be better than they are now. And right now, they're one of the three best teams in the AFC, one of the five best teams in the NFL. So if Josh Allen can be a little more consistent, that'll be great. I think that the offensive line has serious problems on the interior. and I don't know what in the world they're going to do about it. But the uh, the left guard spot is a problem, and it needs to be addressed in some fashion, I think, because that could be the difference between going far in the playoffs, uh, you know, going to the Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl, and losing in the first round. Josh Allen does not look comfortable all the time behind that offensive line. He's bailing out too early sometimes when he had just gotten comfortable, it seems like, with staying in the pocket. So this has got to be addressed. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the offense. Gabe Davis has been a complete non-factor this year. Isaiah McKenzie has been a complete non-factor this year with the emergence of Dawson Knox with a healthy wide receiver, too, and Emmanuel Sanders uh, alongside Stephon Diggs. Uh, I think Dawson Knox is going to miss two games, maybe, is it, with a broken hand. I know he had surgery, like, almost, what, 10 days ago now, right after the Titans game. And it was just, I guess, like, just one, one bone in his hand, so it didn't sound real serious. I guess, like I said, he should only miss a few games. Interesting to see what happens with that, uh, if the Bills go more 10 personnel, like some people have suggested, or if they stay with their, uh, you know, 11 personnel and they, they use Tommy Sweeney more or Reggie Gilliam. That'll be really something that's interesting to see. And we're going to need more production from the running game. Uh, the, the running backs, a little more consistency. I know it's tough to run against Tennessee, and obviously there's a symbiotic relationship between the offensive line and running backs You know, having success in the um, running game. But I need to get some more um production from Singletary and Moss somehow you know like to have some more production from Gabe Davis or maybe they just really rely on the big three you know Beasley Sanders and and Diggs until Dawson Knox comes back um to take you know to take back his role as a as a top four um option there with the Bills so we'll see but if you know the Bills schedule like I said is pretty easy um you know upcoming Obviously, they play the Dolphins this week. Then they play Jacksonville in Jacksonville. They play the Jets in New Jersey. They play the Colts at home. And then that's Thanksgiving week. So five weeks until Thanksgiving, if you're keeping score out there. And that'll be a game against the Saints at 8 o'clock on Thanksgiving night. That game's a little weird to me. I feel like it's in the category of possible lose, possibly losing, although I don't expect them to lose. Uh, and then the the Patriots, uh, the Bucks, the Panthers, the Patriots, the Falcons, and the Jets. So the Bills have a really uh, easy schedule, 
there's really only maybe three games remaining that you could really put in the they might possibly lose this game category for the Bills. And certainly heading um, into Thanksgiving, it's really possible that the Bills could be 8-2 and two, given these next four games. Uh, you know, I, I don't know really what to expect. I feel like even though the Dolphins are in more disarray than they were when the Bills played them earlier in the year, I, I feel like the game might be a little bit closer than 35-0. to zero. But I think, you know, the Bills, it might be like 38-13 or something like that. So I don't think this game is certainly in danger of, um, you know, the Bills losing. But it's going to be a really interesting race, I think, the rest of the way in terms of the playoffs with the, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Titans. Will the Chiefs be able to bounce back? I don't know. It seems unlikely, but you never know. We'll see, you know, are the Chargers in that mix as well. So a lot of a lot of fun stuff if you're a fan and, and you're interested in keeping track of the playoffs and the playoff race and all that stuff. And like I said, I, I guess this will be my official prediction. I'm um, predicting the Bills 38-13 to 13 this weekend over the Miami Dolphins. With that said, I would like to thank you for listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate you guys leaving a rating and a review. Check out the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram. Check out the YouTube channel. Lots of great content on the YouTube channel. I hope you will also give all these other great podcasts to listen. You can find me once again on Twitter at Charlie underscore Gross underscore. And as always, Bills Mafia, I have to close out my podcast with this great advice. Find a way to embrace your growth mindset. And as always, trust the process.